0: All right, and welcome to episode five of Matchett and the Other Guy. So you know the format by now. There really isn't a format. And you know the other guy, my friend Kevin. So, Kevin, what are we talking about today? Well, I had
1: a bit of a curiosity. Uh, in your kitchen, you have a photograph of you playing American
0: football. Yes. Back, I believe, <laughs> in high, your high school era? Well, it was, uh, hang on, no, it was after. it was after school days for me. It would have been mid-eighties, I think. Like that photograph was probably eighty-four, okay, nineteen eighty-four. Yes, and uh, so you were what age then? Well, uh, let's see. Um, Yeah, it would have been. Well, I was born in sixty-two, so it was after school, eighty-three. I'm trying to think. You know, when American football became popular in England. It would have been about 1981, 82, 83. It was that era. And a new channel had started in UK, Channel 4, which goes to show just how many channels we had back then. (laughs) BBC 1, BBC 2, ITV, which is independent television, and then Channel 4 arrived in the early 80s. You now have 33% more options to watch. That's right. And Channel 4 was kind of... Uh, it, it, it was struggling to find its place, I think, when it first started. It, it, was, it, it kind of wanted to... Pick, and I might be wrong here, but in my impression, it kind of wanted to be the alternative comedy scene of TV, like, it didn't want to be the staid and steady, this is the BBC Broadcasting Corporation. And um, it didn't want to be independent television. It wanted to show alternative stuff. And one of the alternative sports that it started to show, along with sumo wrestling, which became reasonably popular. Well, we'll are, go from uh, one side of the earth uh, to the other right. and keep keep them all going. That's right. Yeah, so sumo wrestling became popular. And then I uh, started to show the NFL, and all of a sudden, like American football, as it was known as in, in England, became very popular, I mean, you know. And um, leagues started to form, um, and I started to train with, not particularly play games, because we were just, I mean, literally, we were just getting the teams off the ground. We are just getting the league up and running, we are just getting teams off the ground. And, I, and I, my affiliation was with uh, Nottingham, which is a town very close to where I grew up, and we called ourselves the Nottingham Hoods uh, from the Robin Hood connection, and, oh, and, all, very good. and also the Hoods of you know, Chicago fame, if you like. We were trying to make a bit of a connection there, uh, so that was our team, the Nottingham Hoods. So was it just something that you just looked? It looked fun, so let's give it a go, or is it, yeah, it was absolutely that. Yeah, it, it, but again, it was all on the strength of having coverage regular coverage of gridiron American football in England because prior to that, we only ever had the Super Bowl. And the Super Bowl was covered on the BBC in about 15 seconds after the golf and the rugby and everything else. Oh, OK. You know? you know, sort of, and the, you know, whoever it was, let's say it's Miami Dolphins, and the Miami Dolphins have won the Super Bowl, you know, and that would be it, you know. And so that when we started getting regular coverage of it, um, the popularity of the sport really boomed. But talking about football, I never really managed to play in games uh, I did train with them but unfortunately I injured my knee in, in a, oh, well there's a wonderful bird noise proof as they say on Tizwas was in England that this show is live this show is live <laughs> <show is> <laughs> the wildlife down at the lake make no concession for our recording yes I injured my knee in uh, uh, at work and um um I got over it but uh, it really kind of I, I soon realised that I had to protect my knee, and playing football was probably not the best thing to do. Uh, and so, I became the team's commentator. Oh, well, it was my there, first. There's some, attempt- there's some uh, foreshadowing. There you go. Became my first job at um, uh, as a commentator. They didn't have anybody, and um, they needed somebody to announce at the ground. And so that was my that was that was, that became my role. And uh, I think it's—I think it was actually very useful because it gave me confidence speaking into a mic and speaking in front of a crowd. Which, as you just alluded to there, in later years when Frank Wilson and Speedvision invited me to come over in the States, I was already kind of comfortable oh, okay. working with a mic. Yeah, yeah. that's the first time I've heard of that. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that's that's the uh, that's the story of of the uh, American football photograph. <laughs> Oh <laughs> my freezer in there, yeah. Yeah, I was just surprised to see American
1: football. I mean, I'm sure at some point it did have to come over, but yeah. uh, that it would have been back then. But uh, and that's quite an undertaking because I mean, like if you're spreading, like say, you know, European football, soccer yeah. to the world, that's easy—a ball and whatever we make is a couple of goals. But with football, you've got you know you got all that equipment, and that's a lot of planning to yes. make a team and a lot of expense too. It
0: was a, it was a lot of planning. It was a lot of expense. But I would, I would say that England really took to it in a you know in a sort of minor way. It's a it's a minor interest sport in England. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, but. We did get a league up and running. Uh, We got contacts in the States where we could buy equipment much cheaper if we bought it en masse Um, and then ship it over to England. And several teams were buying uh, sports equipment at the same time. And uh, so we did manage to make quite a success of it. But my, my team... Back then and to this day. And for no other reason, the fact that they were kind of the first team that I was watching was what the team that used to be known as the Washington Redskins. Now I think they prefer to be known as just the Washington football team. Yeah, now things have been changing in the past few years with them, and I'm not sure exactly where yeah. they landed at this moment. I think they've done away with the Redskins. Uh, name has gone away. And, and most people... I would say over on the other side of the pond, and it always used to refer to Washington as simply Washington. OK. Uh, and, and I see now they are the Washington, the Washington football team, which, to me, I, I think it would be better if you just dropped the football team and just call it, called it Washington. But anyway, they were my team. Um, Theisman at quarterback, John Riggins at uh, fullback. Uh, and I remember watching, I think it was Super Bowl Seventeen between Washington and Miami, and just being amazed at John Riggins running the football, I thought this is this. I've taken to this sport. I like it. I like Good. it a lot. I was watching the strategy unfold, and to this day, I, you probably, you probably know that my memory is not the best, and it, it tends to sort of some things I remember and some things I don't. But to this day, I can tell you that the um, the Hogs lineup at Super Bowl Seventeen, I think, was Jacoby, Grim, Bostic, Stark, and May. Jacoby being uh, left guard and right over to May on playing right guard. Why I remember that to this day? I was day, about to say, something stuck. <laughs> I know. That's pretty <laughs> it's, amazing. It's an odd thing that I remember that, but I always do, yeah. Now, so back with those uh, the teams, were
1: they kind of like sponsored by maybe local businesses? Yes. Kind of
0: like little leagues are here. Exactly that. You know, that, that. Where
1: they get a little bit of financing and a little bit of support and yes. able to make things happen? It was
0: exactly that. We, we, we struggled to get any um, TV coverage, which is really what the league needed to advance. And as they say, if it's not on TV, it doesn't exist. But we couldn't. Well, four channels—you don't have that many options. Right, and time is precious. I'm sure. Yes, we never achieved that. We did get radio coverage, um, but the league—I remember back now. Remember, we're going back a long way. So I'm trying to draw things out of my memory. I think the league—I think was the British American Football League, um, and we would play against cities like Birmingham and Coventry and the Glasgow Lions would go up to Scotland to play Glasgow. Glasgow would come down to us. Very good. Uh, Birmingham Balls were another big team, very powerful team. Um, and I think Leicester were actually called, it, if I remember right, the Leicester Panthers, curiously enough, as were in Charlotte. I'm sure they were the Panthers. Uh, but Birmingham Balls were known as the Birmingham Balls because they're the big shopping centre. Uh, in Birmingham, which is called the Bull Ring. Oh, okay. And so that was a you know, sort of logical Do extension. they still exist and still have the same monikers? I want to say yes, but I've been so out of contact with it, I, I'm not sure. Um, but, if you know, if you think to uh, uh, the NFL now, it's very apparent that interest in football still continues because games in the league, in the NFL, are still now regularly played, in England, yeah, every year I think you know,
1: X amount go over yeah. there and do an it. Exi- yeah, well, it's not an exhibition, it's part of the season, Part but, of the season. But, but it's a chance for English fans to attend and, and, and see
0: one, yes. Live. And
1: so, that's the Panthers s- did it just maybe last year,
0: yeah. Um, and so the popularity of football has without any doubt continued. But I, I would, you know, I would say that it all started back in 81, 82, 83 when Channel 4 <laughs> had this incredible idea of hey, why don't we. Show football games in England. Wow! Yeah, on the new well, TV station. I would imagine that uh,
1: you know soccer, well, European football, is reigns supreme as the number one sure. sport, and I is would, is, yeah. is American football kind of second, or is there a baseball or something like that, or they, anything um, else I might,
0: might be thinking of that's very popular? Baseball. Now, if I remember my history right, uh, baseball actually was was reasonably popular in England uh, in the eighteen fifties. Wow, yes. And I think uh, derby soccer club, Derby Football Club play at the baseball ground. I think I have that right? It's, it's, again, this is what Google and Wikipedia is for. these dim me- memories are in there somewhere, you know they're all based on facts somewhere. But I think Derby used to play at the I think at the baseball ground uh, from yeah. the original baseball days, you know okay. but, but the sport of baseball died away completely. Uh, in terms of popularity in England, and um, well, you, you know, you chap seems to have picked it up and done rather well with it. Yeah, I'm not sure when it was invented. I mean, there's obviously people in the sports. all know exactly
1: when Double Day invented the game, but I couldn't couldn't even tell you when it was. Yeah. So, how about cricket? Does cricket kind of fall in maybe second most popular there? Or yes, yes.
0: I mean, cricket is extremely popular in England. Um, so, in terms of popularity rankings, I mean, it, without any question, it's the Premier League soccer. Cricket, rugby, in that yeah, would be in yeah, that, yeah. that order. Yeah, rugby. We don't get a lot of that here. You know, there's right. definitely leagues and
1: stuff like that. You know, yeah, local, and I'm sure some of the, the universities and stuff have them as well. Yes, but I've and only I've, known personally one person that ever played it. So,
0: yeah, uh, and, and rugby is reasonably reasonably po- uh, popular. Um, it's very popular in Wales. The Welsh love to play rugby. England are pretty good at it too, and the French love to play rugby. Um, but if you look at the rules of rugby and whether it's rugby league or rugby rugby union the two the sort of different leagues that play and then you look at how american football is played you can see that you can see where the connection is yeah. there's no question of that you know you can see it was a it was a sort of natural expansion on what rugby was doing and the one big change that really to me made american football american football was the one forward pass Yes, it's the one thing we we I'd say we as, Eng, as as England don't never introduced into rugby as a forward pass. It always had to be lateral or, or reverse, reverse pass, reverse pass. Yeah. Which we still see now when you watch you know watch football. Occasionally, you see one of those plays where the you know the ball are constantly sort of lateral or passed yeah. back. Um, well, it puts a split second decision. It's like you know do yeah, we do a reverse
1: yeah. to, to hopefully advance or do we keep on advancing? Yes.
0: It's, it is. Yes. it is a mind thing that has to take in a, yeah. in a millisecond. And decision. then when you see. You know, I don't. I can't imagine for a second when the introduction of that one forward pass per play was introduced into football. I imagine that the the rule makers of the league at the time, and this is just me being fascinated by football. I imagine they could have had no idea of the change that would make to the flow of the game in football and the value of the quarterback and the speed of the uh, receivers to go downfield, etc. Oh yeah, I'm sure it did. Completely, completely changed the game, but. Uh, yeah that was what that was that was it. So I'm sure you could see a definite connection between rugby. Are there sep- in in England are there separate stadiums for rugby or do they share one with a soccer team? usually? separate stadiums. Really? Yes, there are yeah. separate stadiums. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a sport all unto itself. Um I would say it's nowhere near as popular as soccer. But, of course, if you're a rugby fan, I'm sure there are many rugby fans out there who say, Steve, what are you talking about? It's extremely popular. you know, And it is. Yeah. It is. And I've
1: seen them touch on it on Top Gear and stuff like that. They'll do it with cars or something like that. You yes. Know?
0: Yeah. Big big guys. And, and you know. And I always think you see the injuries that rugby players pick up. And, and to me, it's a bit like ice hockey players. You know, they, they, They're injured in the course of the sport and accepted as part of the sport. But... It would only take a rule change in the introduction of a football-style helmet into rugby, and I'm sure a lot of injuries would be protected. In the same way that I always think with dear old hockey players, you see so many dental injuries because that part of the face is exposed. Oh, yeah. Well, um, it
1: wasn't until too many years I'm not sure how many years ago it, it Maybe I remember a couple of decades ago. If you could be grandfathered in if you started. You were if you entered the league far enough back. You didn't have to wear a helmet. Still, you were grandfathered in, so you were still seeing guys on ice without a helmet. Is that they, right. But they had their. If they were grandfathered in, they had the choice themselves to decide whether or not to wear a helmet. Yes. and some
0: of them didn't. Yes. Yeah. Now, again, I'm sure. I'm sure there are many people that want to be critical of what I'm about to say here, but I, I do believe it would only take a rule change. And uh, a, a full, you know, football-style mass to be introduced into ice hockey, and those problems would go away. Now, the, the current players may object to that, but I would always say this is the it's the same thing as safety changes introduced into Formula One motor racing, in our little world, you know, or any or any form of motor racing. That the idea of higher cockpit sides nobody liked until it happened, and everyone now accepts it. The idea of a a cockpit bolster around the driver's neck and head each side of the cockpit nobody wanted until it happened and now it's accepted and now the introduction the most recent thing of course Kevin is the the halo oh the halo and so many people were anti the halo until it was introduced um drivers are critical of it teams were critical of it fans and supporters of the sport were and to a degree i was too you know i'm not again i was thinking well is this a good thing can you get drivers out of the cockpit in time if you need to because of the halo but within a couple of years of the halo being around you just accept it the drivers accept it as it is what it is yeah and i feel that safety equipment in other sports such as ice hockey it would be accepted within one generation. The new players wouldn't know any different. Well, there's no question you you
1: kind of you kind of give some aesthetic to get safety, but that's that's yeah yeah it's a people, give and take. players and drivers' yeah. lives are more important yeah, than yeah. The aesthetics. Yeah, so. yeah. even but though it's an inherently it's, dangerous sport, on both of those actually. So
0: yeah, and again, I'm sure um, I'm sure many rug- fans of rugby and rugby players would disagree with my idea of introducing a football-style helmet. Uh, and I understand there is there is a that there is some evidence i would suggest or some theory that perhaps the introduction of the helmet has as has led to injuries that weren't there before i'm not in any i don't know i'm, a, I'm no expert on that I, uh, perhaps the helmet has its own problems but yeah I, I mean just i think in general as as new safety measures come along in every sport my i think my overriding point here really is it only takes one generation, and and you just take it as red. It's, it exactly. just it, it just becomes part of the sport. Well, I mean, if you just look at what they were a hundred
1: years ago, or even less than that, they were just these leather leather things with a little bit of thicker leather on top, and I know. You know, like leather flying helmets. right? yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, you mentioned you know earlier that you know kind of American football and sumo kind of come over at the same time. That yeah. really reminded me in the states, especially back you know, before cable was introduced, and you mainly had the three channels here, your three main channels you know, that we still have. But the Wide World of Sports on ABC was the big thing. And it really brought in a lot. And that was their, what they were known for. They would bring over and show us things we'd ne- maybe never see. Curling okay. maybe may on it. Or it yeah. might be sumo wrestling. You know? And then it really took off with, when Evel Knievel started doing his jumps. I think that was their big rating boost that really sent them skyrocketing. And occasionally, that's how. I, I still remember, I'm sure, the first time or whenever I would have a chance to see Formula One, it would be on... Wide World of Sports. And usually it was Monaco. I still remember watching Monaco because you can definitely remember the hairpin. Yes. And I definitely remember that as a kid. And Jackie Stewart, you know, his voice always sends me right back to the 70s. He
0: has a a unique delivery. uh, I can't say a unique accent, a Scottish accent, but he has a unique delivery in motorsport where you can instantly recognize Jackie's voice. I I go
1: straight back to being a kid and listening to him. And then speaking of Wide World of Sports, Jim McKay. Yeah, was the voice. And he also voiced the Olympics. So for so many years, I would hear his voice and think, you know, think of the Olympics. And it's so sad we don't have him still broadcasting.
0: Yes, but it it is it is fun, I think, to delve into the sports of different nationalities, different countries and, and just kind of study it and see where it started, the origins of it. Yeah, I mean. I can watch a little bit of sumo wrestling. I'm not going to watch it for hours because I'm not that into it. But I, I'm I'm kind of fascinated by the history of it. And oh, and it's got a deep, deep rich yes, history in, yeah. in Japan and such. Yeah, yeah. So did did you play did you play football as a younger man or um, um, baseball <laughs> as a younger man? Or? I did one year of little league football,
1: pee wee football, whatever you want to call it, in right. '76. Okay, and it was mostly because some friends, you know, at school, elementary, were, were doing it, and I kind of okay, I'll give it a try too. Found out it wasn't my thing. I just really didn't care that much about it. Uh, I did that season. Um, didn't do baseball. Um, I was more independent and just liked to ride. I liked bikes, and I did you know BMX bikes. But I didn't r- race them. But I you know, always had one, and we'd be yeah. finding something to jump and try to kill ourselves. <laughs> and then uh, that evolved into skateboarding. Yes. Uh, when about junior high, I started you know kind of transitioning from biking into you know doing skateboarding, and I'd go about every day. Uh, and do something in the driveway. Or it might be this certain parking lot uh, in uh, Leesburg was called the Unevens because it was just built different levels. And it had, you know, elevating, like, ramps to it. And it was just a great place to congregate. So I would skateboard. Now, I did actually, I competed in, I think, three skateboard competitions. But organized sports just weren't my thing, which is kind of funny because my dad, um, he loved baseball. Of course, growing up, you know, in that, you know, depression era, Beyond, you know, baseball was such a big, important thing. You know, yeah. being the national pastime, and he loved to play. Anytime they had a, you know, few minutes free time, they would grab their their bats and gloves and head off to some sand lot, just like you know, the famous movie kind of alludes right. to. Um, so he grew up doing that, uh, and he was also a, a champion tennis player. Oh wow. In his later years, mostly like college age, um, he was a citywide champion. And the, the funny one is when he was younger than that, probably uh, 10, 11, right in there, he was a marbles champion Yeah. for the city. So they used to play marbles back wow. in the day you know, yeah. as, as kids.
0: Yeah. So he did that. A, a
1: marbles champion? Yeah, Yeah. we have the, uh, <laughs> newspaper, we have the newspaper clipping <laughs> yeah. of where he was the uh, city champion wow, of playing marbles. And
0: we actually still have some of his original marbles yeah. from way back in the day. Well, we, I mean, we used to play marbles on the other side of the Atlantic in England, but um, I'm not aware of anybody being a, mar- a marble champion, certainly not in my day of playing school games. Now, one thing I do know that you're very into uh, in, in, in terms of sport, because I remember when we were in Florida doing one of our uh, uh, dinner reading events, and we, we walked past uh, a little surf shop, and your eyes lit up of of what were in there and I know that you're a big fan of of surfing so tell me about tell me about that when did you suddenly become enthralled with everything to do with surf Uh,
1: that happened, we moved moved, uh, from Tennessee to Central Florida uh, in early early 81 and I think just evolved from you know being down there in Florida, kind of near the coast. We were still about 45 minutes drive living there, but I think it started more or less with the skateboarding first, and that kind of evolved. You kind of hang around people that skateboard, and they're also kind of you know surfer guys too, and it just kind of evolved. And then wasn't too long before we were able to drive, so then we could just on a Saturday we're heading to the beach for the day. You know, yeah. we pile in. But it's just like anything else, you know, I'm not going to run out and buy a brand new surfboard. You know, he didn't have money you know, for that. So it seems like I got my first one from the local pawn shop. And it was just a real, not a good one, (laughs) but it kind of got me going. And then, you know, whenever, you know, that was pre us driving. So we have when your parents are going or a friend may be going, you could tag along or something like that. So we started, you know, kind of going over there. When we could on the weekends. And, of course, all of us by then had a decent board and stuff like that. So we would ride. But then I graduated high school and went back to Tennessee for college. But ended up moving back to Jacksonville where, you know, I even showed you the place where I lived there on the beach. Yeah. And within three days of moving to that spot, I went and found a board and bought one. And so, you know, we lived lived right on the water. So it was great. A lot of times I'd do it after work. I'd come in and, you know, on a nice summer afternoon uh, after work you know the light was still you know till like eight or nine o'clock and if the waves were good I'd go out after after
0: dinner time and and ride a little bit I was never never great at it but it is was. It well, you was took to that's the thing isn't it you took to it and that becomes your thing I think that's important yeah I remember when you showed me your your old apartment building a fantastic spot down there and a little walk over the sand and, and there you are, this fantastic beach over there. Oh yeah, now I also right noticed, you know, because I, I, I'm always, I'm always keen to learn new things. And I remember when you were talking to the shop owner, looking at the surfboards, the one, one phrase that kept. I, Popping up in conversation, I was unfamiliar with. Was it, was it shaping? Who shaped the board? Is that how you describe? Oh yeah, yeah. It, every
1: it, most every good board is done by a shaper, and there's a shaper. Yeah, yeah, and that's a lot of times their name is on the board. Like back in the day, there was Dewey Weber and and folks like that, and they would they take uh, a piece of foam, and I think I think the main one, is the Clark foam, is is the main. I think almost most, if not all of them, these days are made from that, and they'll just take that piece of foam and just start shaping it, and there's different shapes for different type of waves and sizes, yeah. and, and uh, there's shorties and longer
0: ones, and you so know, you'd one's buy made for big waves and one's not, and such. So a, sh- a shaper would buy a block of particularly hard foam, I'm guessing, then, to shape it, to form Correct. it, mm-hmm. and, and, and form it into, or shape it into whatever particular design he or she's looking for, and then... Some sort of product must be applied to it. Fiberglass. Every, just for, okay, it's fiberglass and fiberglass resin over the top yep. of it to seal it. Yeah, you to, lay down the, right. the cloth of fiberglass, yeah. Okay, and
1: then you just literally pour it across. I've never actually... It'd be great. I've never been inside of a, uh, a shop when one yeah. is doing that. Yeah. Of course, when they're shaping the foam, uh, you have to pull wear a full breather mask because it's just foam everywhere. Uh, little yeah. little, little yeah. pieces of uh, people that flying everywhere while, as you're yeah. taking it down. But, uh, yeah, they're all hand done it's definitely a craft i mean it's it's amazing what some of them have uh, done
0: and are you or folks that are really into surfing can you look at a board and say i know who shaped that i know i know that
1: probably yeah i i couldn't i couldn't do it and yeah, i don't but, know anyone yeah, particularly right. that could could
0: say yes i can do that but the guys but, the guys and gals that are doing it professionally they'd be able to say oh, I know where that came from. Yeah, yeah.
1: And usually they'll uh, there will be some sort of like little, little little penciled marks on the bottom of it. What, what size it is, and and they'll yeah. put down the little information, and it'll be under the fiberglass, you know, there forever, saying you know what size they did yeah. or, or whatever.
0: But, and i I'm going to guess that there must be a collector's market for. I'm going to say old surfboards, I don't know if that's right, classic surfboards in the same way that there is of anything oh, so. else in the world that folks very get so. into, yeah. Of
1: course, you know, you'll definitely see collectors and people that are passionate or more like, you know, on the California coast, maybe the Florida. You're not going to see that much in Charlotte, North Carolina, but uh, not that there isn't somebody that might be interested. You just don't see the collections that we're going to end up here because it doesn't make sense. We're inland. Right.
0: But, <laughs> but I'm sure there's some
1: I can't yeah. I can't there's probably I'm sure some that are worth tens of thousands of dollars.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and also, there's a, there's a tremendous lifestyle that goes all around, you know, with surfing. Oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah. Did you take to all of that as a young man, too?
1: I mean, somewhat. By the time, you know, again, we were in central Florida, and we skateboarded mostly because, again, we could do that right outside our yeah. <laughs> driveway, you yeah. know. Uh, so we did that mostly, and it was a bit of a drive. But you were just want, you were kind of in that group, you know? yeah. uh, the, I, I noticed that going to high school in Florida, you were, you were kind of clicked in part of a a group, you know, and I was part of the surfer skater group back in my day. Yeah. And so, you know, most everybody I knew, we would get together and skateboard, you know, in the afternoons and some of the same of of us would break off and maybe go to the beach on Saturday and come back and stuff like that. But again, you know, we still had high school responsibilities and jobs and
0: parents going, well, you're not going today, (laughs) you know, that kind of thing. Of course, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... We talked about football, and I would have been 20, 22 when we when I was playing uh, American football in England. Um, but organised sports in my my life, uh, other than motor racing, which is a you know well understood part of my my life, um, I never really took to team sports, really because. And this is something we're bound to get into in a, as a, on, a, on a later episode. I I was fairly isolated as a kid, in, in, just in terms of where I lived and where my friends were. So I ended up uh, being on my own a lot of the time. And so organized group sports, you know, it just became it's just difficult to happen. You know, yeah. I had to get to somewhere. I had to physically travel to somewhere, and that that wasn't the easiest thing to do when I was a kid. So I I tended to do a lot of things uh, on my own. So I I took to uh hiking and camping were really the things that i, I always love to be outside uh which is one of the reasons we have to say why we decided to do uh match it and the other guy the podcast <laughs> outside because i just like to be outside oh, with agree. the sound of the the wildlife you know and the, and the beautiful lake out here but so as a kid as a, as a even as a very young kid I, I would be camping in the woods on my own um and would build You know what we call dens. You know, out of just ferns and bracken and branches. And um, I spent a lot of time on my own, but particularly, I I particularly enjoyed camping. And then, of course, as a natural extension for that, hiking. And I still enjoy that now. You know, we have some great trails around here, up around Crowders Mountain, and uh, I still, I still enjoy that very much. Yeah, this is a beautiful part of the country with many, many options of 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 things to do outdoors. The only problem I have, Kevin, really, um, I, I enjoy Charlotte. Very much, but the high humidity of the summer—June, July, August—to it, it, me, it's almost crippling. Like you can't step out. S- Oh, yeah. to welcome, to the, welcome to the southeast. It's just like being in a sauna. So, and it's ninety degrees, hundred degrees. <laughs> I must say. So you're you saying know. it's a bit different than England. It's <laughs> a bit different to England. That's exactly right. And at fifty-eight, um, I just, you know, I can't. I, you know, I, I have no desire to to walk up those steep inclines at fifty-eight in that high humidity. But, um, but it does pay off when the fall comes. Yes, it, it does. for spring too. Now, spring is yeah. beautiful. Usually. I mean, even now today, you know, we're we're, we're sitting here. We've had a lot of rain over over the weekend, Um, and the powers that be, the guardians of of Lake Wylie, if they expect a lot of rain, they tend to lower the height of the lake by controlling the dams at each end of the lake, and the lake system in in Charlotte anyway. And I noticed the other day that the height of the lake, uh, the water level, had dropped at least three, maybe four feet. So clearly we're expecting a lot of rain but sure enough over the last 48 hours we've had some torrential rain and uh, it, it's raised the water level uh, back up now but um yeah be- it's beautiful here beautiful fall colors you're absolutely right the reds the greens the golds just outstanding countryside for walking and without that humidity when you can feel the air going in and out of one's lungs when you walk in i think it's a great thing
1: oh absolutely mm. yeah we uh- My camping experience, we didn't do too much. My family wasn't into camping, so I did a little... It's kind of hard to call it camping, but with the Cub Scouts.
0: Yes. Um, Yeah.
1: I did Cub Scouts for a number number of years, and then the, the middle one between that and Boy Scouts called Weeblos. Okay. And I did Weeblos for a while, and we would do what you call jamborees, and it's where, like, a whole bunch of scouts from different regions get together and it's a big (laughs) party so you're not like out in the woods you know with like five of you you're there with a couple of hundred maybe so i remember doing those but you you slept in a tent so that's about as close as it got to camping yeah but uh we just just as i was moving from from uh, tennessee to florida would have been about the time i would have graduated up to boy scouts and i just having a transition and stuff is just like i'm just i'm gonna end it i'm not gonna pursue it down there and then Lo and behold, I did get into you know riding the BMX bikes, and which led to the eventually the skateboarding, and then surfing. So that was kind of what I did all through through high school. And then, of course, like say when you could drive, the, the bike kind of found its way into the back of the sure. storage barn because yeah. I never needed it again it hardly. Out, Not that nice I didn't, yeah. yeah, I'd get it out every once in a while and just yeah. kick around on it. But skateboarding was great because you could go to the places you wanted to go to. We right. just always, I literally, I always had it in the trunk. Because yes. you know he would go to high school with me, and then wherever I was going in the afternoon or whatever, and generally if I needed to or ran into some friends that were skating, I had it in the back, so it was always with me. And of course, surfing
0: you just made more of a plan. You know, and loaded them up on top of the car and and head to the beach. But yeah, great, great, great times. I mean, I remember thinking about camping, and I um, was I was a Cub Scout too. Uh, my brother was a was a scout, um, but I remember. One of my greatest achievements, and this sounds a bit weird, but, you know, <laughs> I've had some great, great fortune in terms of my career, um, probably culminating in, in being a part of the team that won the Formula One Constructors' Championship in 1995, which is, must stand out as my career highlight. And But as a personal highlight, I would say the best thing I ever managed to achieve for myself was making a campfire without any matches or without any lighter. Actually making a fire start with with sticks. that's an accomplishment. Yes, it wasn't really sticks. Not many of us can say that. It was bamboo, Uh, two pieces of bamboo, and learning how to uh, start a fire, a friction fire, with bamboo, and going through the process of sharpening the edge on a piece of bamboo uh, to use it as this, uh, a low friction area, and then cutting a little hole in the other piece of bamboo and generating a tiny ember. But I tried and tried, it's a bit like a film Castaway, you know, I, Tom I, Hanks. I tried and tried and tried and failed and failed and failed, but I kept persevering and persevering and persevering. And eventually, when you see that first tiny whiff of smoke and that tiny red ember, and, and your nose smells that something is burning. Even if it's just a little smoke at first, the, the, the rush of excitement, and then to actually see the boof when it bursts into flame, I can remember it to this day, it's just just a fabulous thing. And it's a skill that I've always kept. So whenever I get the opportunity, when I go camping now, or even sometimes when I go to an organized uh, picnic barbecue area, which we have a lot of them around here, um, for a barbecue you know, to cook out at lunch, for example, I will try and light the, light the fire f- just with bamboo you know so I'm, I'm very pleased to be able to do that but i just remember that what you know, as a personal sort of sense of achievement wow bring
1: it bring a little
0: primal dawn of man back <laughs> to uh some modern that's, times that's right yeah the first technology as they say right the first technology You master fire and away you go yeah beautiful beautiful memories from childhood great to talk about different sports yeah playing american football in england as a 20 year old and um all from that photograph that you saw in the kitchen yeah it's great times and again that led to commentary and gave me the confidence to stand in front of a crowd and to um to be comfortable talking with a microphone and and just share stories and that's you know once again that's what we've done here today gentle reader and thank you for joining us for this episode that was episode five kevin wasn't it correct yeah and join us again for episode six in the near future